Jose Cortez, and you're listening to another Step Off Magazine production. Keep it red and revolutionary. Good internet, you're tuned in to Step Off Radio, the official podcast of Step Off Magazine. You listen to our first episode of 2020. We got a great episode for you guys today. My guest today is actually going to be a familiar face here on the show. Some of you might know him as the specter of communism here on the show. Some of you might just know him by the government name Jose Cortez and as the co-host here with me on Step Off Radio. Jose hasn't been on the show as of late and most of you probably noticed that. Um, it was really just me doing the show solo for like last couple episodes of 2019 and honestly guys that's because jose's been kind of busy lately and he's actually been running as a third party candidate for the peace and freedom party in the race for the 50th congressional district here in san diego california so for today's show guys i had a chance to actually catch up with jose we had a really great conversation and got to talk 101 about the campaign um what him and his team have been doing running out here in the 50th district. We got to talk about what platforms he's running on, what stances he would take if he was elected as a member of Congress. And I really got to talk to him about all the interesting nuances of running as a socialist candidate here in the United States and all the unique challenges that poses as the lone Chicano candidate in the race running in a district that has historically been a conservative stronghold and has not really historically been any kind of bastion for progressive representation, really, out here in San Diego. And with that said, guys, um, I really hope you enjoy this episode, and I really want to thank you all for rocking with us as we go into 2020 and we start our second year here at Step Off Radio. Um, you know, we got a little bit of a late start here in the year, but uh, but we got a lot of really, really cool guests and all sorts of new stories we're looking forward to telling here in the new year. So again, thanks for sticking with us. We hope you enjoy the show. And with that said, let's get back to the program. Bring them all so step up if you want to get hurt. Suckers want to battle. Oh, Bring them all so step up if you want to get hurt. Suckers want to battle. Oh, Bring them all so step up if you Suckers want to battle. So step up if you Suckers want to battle. So step up if you Suckers want to battle. Well, here we go again. Internets, what is good? You're tuned into another episode of Step Off Radio. My guest today is an interesting character, to say the least. He is an organizer. He is a member of the San Diego chapter for the Party for Socialism and Liberation. He is a host on this show, and he's also running for Congress in California's 50th Congressional District. Please welcome back to the show, everybody, our guest, Jose Cortez. Thank you very much, Rob. It's <laughs> great to be like back on the podcast after a short hiatus. And yeah, man, excited. how you been? Yeah, I've been I've been great. You know, like, honestly, I'm excited to talk about all the crazy stuff that we've been getting getting down with in the 50th district and all over San Diego County. Yeah, man. Well, I mean, you know, I guess the cat's out of the bag now. You know, so you know, like let us let everyone know. You know, like we've been preparing for for the past, you know, three or four months. You know, we've been off the show. Oh, know? so we've we've been getting ready to go to war in the 50th district right here, uh, which is our home district, as you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the incumbent is Duncan Hunter Jr. 
So we've been getting ready to run a big series of campaigns, not only for the local congressional seat here, uh, but also for the presidential and vice presidential ticket uh, nationwide. We're shooting for at least 16 states to get ballot representation. So we've been just gearing up locally here as a political party and as an organization of like anti-war organizers, anti-police brutality organizers to gear up for a big, big 2020. All right. Now, for the, so for people who are unfamiliar with you as a candidate, you know, like and your platform, you know, uh, tell us exactly about your party. Like, what's about you running on? Okay, so I'm running as a part of the Peace and Freedom Party, and I've been registered Peace and Freedom, a third uh, political, third party here in California that's been on the ballot uh, uh, since uh, the '60s, really. Like, and it's a party founded by the anti-war movement of the '60s and '70s, the Black Panther Party and civil rights and basically local national liberation groups that took part of uh, the collective struggle of the 60s and 70s. And it's in that spirit that like I'm running in the local 50th district and our candidates are running here in California for president and vice president Gloria Lariva and Leonard Peltier. Um, you know, and it's a party that's rooted in a very, very firm denunciation of capitalism, a very parasitic system that is causing a lot of these world issues that we're facing uh, at the expense of all of us for the profit of very few. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be fighting a campaign basically rooted in constitutional amendments for housing, health care, and subsidized child care as, as basic rights guaranteed and accountable uh, to the government. Uh, we're fighting for a socialist government here in the United States uh, that will shutter the U.S. military bases. And uh, that's our political party. We're running... Uh, a very grassroots campaign to address very real concerns that most of our people here in the 50th can relate to uh, versus what most of these big-time corporate politicians and, and millionaires are going to be talking about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Now, um, now for people who don't know, the 50th district, that is um, the district that Duncan Hunter currently represents, who's under... <laughs> yeah, <that> junior. Yeah. <laughs> Who was who was going uh, about to go on trial? I believe for was it embellish, um, for em simultaneously throwing his wife under the bus and driving it at the same time. Em embezzlement yeah. and uh, misappropriation of campaign funds and a whole rap sheet of stuff. But um, you know, you've spent um, pretty much almost your entire life in the 50th district, and, uh, and you and I, we uh, we grew up here. This is this is a home for us. Now, for our listeners out there. Um, Give a little basic background on, like, the region. You know, what are the state of the affairs in the 50th District? Um, why do you believe that you're the right candidate for the people of it? And, um, you know, and why do you think you're the right person to um, be the representative in the United States Congress? So, you know, just to start off with, what is the 50th District? Like, the 50th District is a huge district. It is a massive chunk of San Diego County. It's about 65, a little less than 65% of the county. And it mostly is made up of areas of the county that are represented in North County, East County, areas like parts of El Cajon, Alpine, all the way down, like a little south. Uh, and the state of affairs in the 50th is, is, a, is a dire one. Like almost 10% of the people in the 50th are, there's almost 10% unemployment. It's around 8%, uh, which is about double the average for like the, for the other local districts. You have areas that are like rural and semi-rural that are being not only underrepresented, but they're being like misled in, in the politics of the region by reactionaries like Duncan Hunter that are openly touting fascist political views and making it, you know, very clear and very public uh, alliances with reactionary groups like the United Patriot Nationalist Front. Mm -hmm. um, 
It's a dire situation in the 50th where housing especially is constantly uh, a scarcer and scarcer resource because the displacement that's happening in the neighboring regions is not is not only affecting there. It's affecting here as well, like the developers that are uh, greedily uh, casting out more and more working class people from their homes to build luxury condos uh, is not just an isolated incident in San Diego. It's also happening in El Cajon. It's happening in Escondido. It's happening all over the 50th district. So in a nutshell, like I have a very real relationship with this district, as you pointed out, like we grew up here. This is where we went to school. This is where my mom teaches, where my sister teaches. This is where, like, my friends live, and this is where, like, ultimately I became politicized uh, and have, like, also been organizing in my own way uh, to, to address these very real contradictions uh, that are on display by the land developer-owned local government <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the federal offices that are held by political family dynasties. Mm-hmm. Um, the situation is so dire that, like, it needs people like us, people that, you know, the majority of the people in the 50th district that don't make $174,000 a year like Duncan Hunter Jr. does mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, and still steals a quarter of a million dollars from the people. Uh, they need representation of somebody who understands, like, what teachers need and what working families need and what people who are constantly facing 10% rent increases or more need. You know, they need real representation of real working class people uh, mm-hmm. that can be not only accountable, but that will also like be like calling out and not just like complacent with uh, the status quo as it is. Yeah. So that's like a very basic rundown. The 50th district is a very diverse area with a lot of people living here, as you know, like the Iraqi and Syrian and, and Afghani people that are and the Kurdish people who are living in this community, um, you know, Rasa that are here and people that are like coming from that have always been here in El Cajon and other areas of the 50th. Uh, uh, we should have representation as well. It shouldn't just be white nationalists and, and, and the worst elements of reactionary uh, settler colonial society <laughs> here. Uh, but yeah, in a nutshell, that's what that's what we're trying to do in the 50th is we're trying to give people an option and an actual real choice uh, for a working class re- representative instead of one handpicked by developers <laughs> or, you know, crony politicians. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, now, uh, uh, you're a Chicano socialist and your platform is, as you said, committed to ending uh, U.S. wars abroad, uh, shuttering the military bases in occupied countries. Um, likewise, you know, you advocate for rent control, the closure of for-profit concentration camps and like the end of criminalization of the homeless and poor. Um, these are all lofty goals and promises that all sound very similar to many goals of uh, other third party candidates that we hear. How do you plan to work towards these goals in a, in a practical way if elected in the 50th district? So any piece of paper with any law on it is only worth, it's not even worth the ink on that piece of paper if it's not backed by a real mass movement of working class people. And so if like the way that we get into any of these loftier, as you pointed out, ambitions, right, which I don't think they're lofty at all. I think housing, healthcare, and and childcare, the access to higher education, these are, you know, things that are very, very real and material right now. The buildings exist, the resources exist. 
I think the way that we accomplish it, that is by really mobilizing the majority of the people that create the wealth in this society and then really, really pointing out the contradictions of, of, uh, of a society that supposedly cares so much about humanitarianism, but then invades and blockades and sanctions entire segments of, uh, of the world and starves people and preve uh, prevents them receiving medical aid. Uh, calling out the contradictions of spending $50 billion on U.S. military bases, 800 of them in 70 countries as of, uh, as of now, uh, and not, not to mention the black, uh, black sites that aren't, aren't on record, um, when we only spend $5 million on federal housing assistance here in the state of California. Mm -hmm. Like, there, there, is no, there is no shortage of ways that we can just create legislation to address some of these issues, like passing national housing like fairness laws, like national rent control, national vacancy control, national – the end of no-cause uh, uh, no evictions nationally. Like we can create programs on a national scale to address the housing uh, crisis, which isn't a really – which is a manufactured crisis. There's 80,000 houses – uh, that are just simply empty in this <laughs> in San Diego County. Uh, the way that we achieve these in, a, in an actual practical way is by using the very like vehicle that the people who are doing the damage to our societies have laid out themselves to address and, and pointing it out to the people uh, who have previously been, felt very disaffected by the political system in this country and mobilizing them to take action and ultimately take control of the means of production for themselves because we already have the power. Amazon exists, like the technology exists. We have the ability to like actually take control of it and, 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 and create a better world for all of us in a very practical, real way that isn't like rooted in some sort of idealism. So what you're saying is, is that the, appara the apparatus for change exists, but the political will necessarily isn't 100% there though. Well, the political will is definitely there because when you talk to like working class families that are facing displacement, when you talk to people who are in tens of thousands of medical debt, uh, of dollars of medical debt, like there's a very, very real and a very uh, determined will to like fight and to like address those, those, those horrible like enforced circumstances that are enforced oftentimes by, you know, the armed fat part of the state, which is the cops uh, that are there to basically collect on those debts or evict you from your home. I think... There's a very strong will. It's just that there's in, there hasn't been a very clear alternative in a long time because people have been misled that you only have the two-party system, that basically political involvement is something that happens two to four years, every two to four years, mm -hmm. and that these things just happen to us because rich people have the power and have the control. But fundamentally, we're seeing a, t a tide of change that's happening where people are realizing that... Without us, without the people that clean the, the hospital rooms, without the people that like, yes. you know, take, you know, clean the hotels and yes. take out and, and, and do all of the work that makes society function, that everything comes to a screeching halt. We've seen that with the teacher strikes. We've seen that with the strikes that have been happening with the healthcare workers. Like there is a very real political will in this country. What's been lacking is a very, you know, is, has been like a unifying and, and, and focused and principled push uh, to... Uh, to address the primary contradiction of this country, which is parasitic capitalism. Mm -hmm. And I think that like part of the thing that we're doing as the Peace and Freedom Party and the Party for Socialism and Liberation is trying to put a name to that and bring people together around all of our struggles because they're all connected. Housing, healthcare, immigration, the war machine, all of, this, all of these things uh, are rotten fruit from the same tree. Mm -hmm. And what we're trying to do is bring people together to cut down that tree once <laughs> and for all here in the belly of the beast.
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, let's get a little bit into um, into you as a candidate. Um, uh, you've been a political organizer since 2016. When you first start, when you first began, um, the 2016 uh, presidential election was in full swing. Um, violence was being advocated and celebrated by the Trump campaign at the time. Still is really, but yeah, <laughs> but now yeah. it's in office now. Um, Zero uh, Perhaps uh, most importantly, though, um, was uh, was an incident that happened here in El Cajon was the uh, police shooting Alfred Alongo here in El Cajon, which um, both of us were both both of us covered. We were both part of those protests. Um, and all this took place within months of one another in 2016. It was very sequential. Um, kind of give a quick run on these events and how they kind of all eventually compelled you from uh, taking to the streets and in, into these these specific actions and movements and then eventually graduate into full-time organizing. Like kind of paint that picture. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it was a very interesting trip the entire – to get to where I am right now. I was working with children with special needs at a co- uh, cooperative charter school out in Linda Vista, and um, we were talking – I would work with anywhere from kindergartners to eighth graders, and we would talk a lot about, like, history. And, you know, you spend a lot of time with kids, especially kids that are going through what we call would call precipitating factors, right? Things happening to them outside of school where school is a space where they, you know, feel a relative safeness sometimes. And, you know, sometimes they're homeless, sometimes – you know, they're, they're constantly having to move. Their parents are undocumented or like they're themselves are undocumented. Like I was feeling all this like very real, you know, anger at having learned about the system here and what like we're, we're just basically accepted as reality. So when everything with 2016 started really happening, I was already feeling just like a lot of us. I feel like a baseline level of political consciousness uh, and, and, and anger about what, what I had been just we'd all been in, enduring and experiencing. Um, I went to a couple of political events and just rallies and saw specifically the Trump campaigns, uh, the violence and the, the one-sided use and the facilitation of that violence by the mm-hmm. SDPD who drove in with riot gear and tanks. And it was in that moment that I realized, I was like, wow, like it takes real uh, action and organizing in the, in the real world to actually address the people with like the riot gear and the tanks and the, and the, and the, and the real machine guns. Um, and then everything happened in Oklahoma. Uh, I had, you know, been living in this area of the 50th district for my, most of my adult life and most of my childhood, um, hearing, I got the phone notification on my phone at work when I was working in a classroom with kids. And I remember thinking like, wow, like this happened in Oklahoma and it's just part of this like latest wave. Another unarmed person of color was shot dead. Uh, and just from the initial reports, it was horrifying. Yeah, like uh, kind of explain like that scene, like in alcohol, because it's one thing when you see it on TV and it's in uh, it's in uh, Ferguson, St. Louis, or it's in Baltimore. But then when you see these scenes of literally, like you said, um, tanks and military weaponry and Whoa. cops and riot gear, you know, in your own backyard. Well, really. I mean, well and, and it. Initially, it didn't even start like that at all, right? Like, it started uh, with it being in the parking lot that sh- of a taco shop that, that shared the dentist office that I'd gone to my entire life. And I went out and saw what was going on and saw firsthand the disproportionate use of force of the police who were armed with 40-millimeter grenade launchers 
tanks, assault rifles with dual mag, you know, cap capabilities, magazines taped together to put, you know, dozens of rounds downrange against unarmed protesters. And that really, really compelled me. That's where I met socialists, socialists who were committed to coming out and supporting national liberation struggles, people's demands for community self-defense and community control of the police, a police force that, as we know now, like in new, even moments after the shooting of Alfred Alongo, that had like taken fit almost an hour to report to the initial call from his own sister for help. And it took him less than a minute to shoot him dead in the parking lot that shared my dentist's office down the street from the yogurt mill and down the street from all of these things that, you know, very a large, large amount of people in the community had very real, you know, relationships with and ownership over their community and felt compelled to take to the streets about it. Um, it was a very, it was a very real uh, education and almost like one could say, uh, if one, uh, one were like wanting to be flowery about it, like a baptism and just like in fire, right? Of like going out and, and, and having a very real relationship with some of these spaces and then seeing tear gas or smoke grenades or concussion grenades going off and heavily armed, predominantly white officers pointing, you know, weapons that had just, pr just probably been shipped out from Afghanistan and Iraq back here to the hands of the police. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it definitely registered in my mind as like, if not now in this moment when fascism is obviously like resurfaced and is like making incredible, you know, moves that are like leading to situations like the highest death rate in, in county incarceration for San Diego County, the separation and ethnic cleansing of our people at the border of this country after mm -hmm. they've destroyed, you know, our home countries for natural resources. Yeah. You know, if not now, then when? And if not us, then who? That was what the lesson I learned uh, from 2016. And then I learned, you know, very clearly that it's not magic. It's not some sort of cloud that opens up and you get like bestowed the title of revolutionary. It's us. It's always been us. It's always been working class people, and it's always been regular people. The people that have had to like endure uh, the conditions of, of, a, of a world built off of their profits of the profits have taken from them um, that make change and it's just like taking the first step and learning how to do it so uh, 2016 was formative in the way of like and just like we'll see in 2020 we're going to see the exact same thing and that's why you know I've learned the lessons from 2016 is that we need to be prepared our people deserve nothing less than for organizers and people that take, you know, our liberation and our struggle for real, real human dignity seriously. And that's exactly what I'm fortunate to have found in the, in the Peace and Freedom Party is a group of people that are committed to doing that and, uh, and doing that in a real way that isn't like hashtag activism. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, an another issue um, that also hits very close to home, uh, particularly with your know, organizing. Um, one of the biggest issues in the 50th district, um, but really all across California, really is the issue of homelessness. Oh, yeah. Now, in your hometown of El Cajon, um, which is, again, located in the 50th district, um, homelessness is a big issue within the city. And you actually organized a community program that, uh, that fed the homeless in Wells Park there in the city. Um, the city is probably among one of the worst when it comes to the treatment and criminalization of the homeless. In 2018, the city imposed a temporary ban on feeding of the homeless, which was met with a volley of protests, which you actually took part in yourself also. Right, correct. Um, 
You know, what would you as an elective representative of the 50th District do to humanely address and handle the homelessness crisis that's currently going on um, in the district, but really across the state and across the country, really? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, the issue with homelessness in the 50th District, and specifically El Cajon, is, is a... Is a completely preventable one that has just been exacerbated by by the greed of land developers and the local politicians here that basically give the home the local homeless population two options to leave or die so as a as a representative on the, in the US you know house of representatives i would be very much interested in like pushing for legislation that would compel real housing and affordable housing to be like part of any sort of development that happens in the 50th district. If developers want to build, you know, continue to build while there's available housing, they're going to have to contribute at least half, if not more, uh, of that housing to be real affordable housing set to an actual rate that people can pay. And I'm thinking 30% or less of people's uh, uh, monthly income should be spent on on housing, uh, nothing more. And so we'll be sponsoring legislation like that as the Peace and Freedom Party, and we'll also be pushing for national measures and local measures here uh, against the criminalization of the homeless, like the inhumane ordinance that was just passed by the local city, San Diego, the San Diego City Council, uh, against people sleeping in their vehicles and recreational vehicles, uh, against people, as they call it, encroachment laws for erecting shelters during uh, rain or in extreme heat. All of these things are symptoms that are being created by capitalism and the like extraction of wealth off of our backs. And we can't like keep throwing out entire thousands of people, our people, out like they're refuse. These are human beings that deserve real access to treatment, to, to dignified housing, mm-hmm. and that should be the first where we start. How we address the homelessness uh, crisis is we give people the available housing that already exists in the 50th district, and we stop like listening and abiding by the greed of a very small minority of owners, of so-called owners, that feel entitled to like letting whole segments of people die out in the cold and elements. Uh, so that's what we would be doing locally to address the homeless issue, uh, would be to push for decriminalization of the homeless and uh, measures that would heavily, heavily impact the local land aristocracy that exists here, especially in East County and parts of North County that are obsessed with future profits, infill, and pushing people out in the name of bringing in new people that they can make even more money off mm-hmm. of. We'll make sure that there's legislation that's being pushed that makes them address their own hypocrisy on these issues. And when the millions of people and the thousands of people in the 50th district see uh, you know, everyone else in Congress being against giving people real affordable housing, uh, because they're in the pockets of these land developers and in these like San Diego real estate association <laughs> lobbyists, you know, it'll be very, it'll be even more clear that mm-hmm. like a radical revolutionary change must take part in this country, not, you know, a system of please, please, sir, can we have some human rights? It needs to be, it needs to be revolutionary. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if elected as a representative of the 50th district, what would be your stance on gun safety and firearm regulation? The Peace and Freedom Party, in a certain respect, has a more nuanced stance on firearms than the typical tropes and knee-jerk reactions rolled out by conservatives and liberals. And oftentimes, that's a position that gets lost in the back and forth between those two parties. 
So in layman's terms, you know, what is the Peace and Freedom Party's position on guns and how would that factor into your leadership in the 50th district regarding firearms? Yeah, and it's very true. We have a very nuanced approach, right? So we stand in solidarity with the young people that were coming out to address the violence that's happening in their schools, in their communities. And specifically, we want to be a part of these conversations to really, really help foster the like spirit of going after the corporations that produce these weapons uh, and specifically are profiting off of exporting them, not only you know, having them distributed here domestically to white supremacists and fascists that are committing this violence, um, but overseas into Mexico, where it has also just spiraled into a narco, you know, fueled a narco war where tens of thousands of people have died. Uh, <clears throat> so our approach to gun control is a very nuanced one. We understand the history of this place and the, and the use of very, very, you know, I would say superficial terms like gun control or gun rights in this country uh, as kind of a, a veil uh, for the very real uh, oppressive measures taken against black and brown and indigenous people in this country, women as well, um, uh, and versus trying to like can put these arguments on a very abstract plane. So what do we think about the gun control discussion? Uh, it is our you know, position that in order to reduce the kind of violence that's happening in our communities, we need to actually eliminate the conditions which creates that violence, which is poverty, which is homelessness, which is you know, the constant things that capitalism is reinforcing in our societies. Um, it wouldn't be achieved overnight, but you know, socialism and working class power has been demonstrated in the real world. Countries like Cuba, where most people are trained on and know how to use a gun as part of their like civil responsibilities, but there's guns that aren't accessible in the population, and therefore there's just not a history of mass shootings because people are educated on what a gun's function is. Um, you know, we need to have actual programs for conflict resolution and social work programs that must be fully funded as a national priority to address a lot of the, the underlying reasons of why people are getting, uh, having workplace shootings and having the situations where domestic violence and all these other things are really being exacerbated. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't solve these things in like a vacuum. And, you know, we got to, like I said, address the real historical trend in this country that any sort of gun controlled rhetoric is basically coded language for going after black uh, Chicano or like indigenous communities harder uh, under the guise of war on crime, war on criminals. Um, it's not our communities that are carrying out the mass shootings, and it's not our communities uh, that are the ones that are like overrepresented in, in, in gun purchases and, and gun deaths. Uh, it's really, I would say, we are overrepresented in gun deaths, specifically people being shot, but we're not. Overrepresented in doing the shooting of like parking lots, mat, you know, movie mass theaters, shootings. or high schools, domestic terrorist attacks. Right. One of the things that we believe in in the Peace and Freedom Party is lifting the special legal protections for the arms industry. Like they, the fact that these manufacturers have special legal exemptions to prevent them from being accountable to the people when they're openly selling these guns and pushing them, advertising them. That's another thing that we are really for is banning the marketing and advertising of weapons similar in a way to the ban on cigarettes and to just get the corporate money out of politics for these gun lobbies that are making the United States one of the largest exporters of weapons. If it is right now the largest exporter of weapons worldwide and you know uh, maybe you know the people of the world would (laughs) prefer to not have like weapons of war mass produced and, 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 and forced into their countries to support feudalism fascism and other kinds of vehicles for the U.S. to get their natural resources out easier. Um, well, you know, we're also saying that we don't really necessarily uh, agree with the idea of putting up 
more barriers around people of color who need to defend ourselves in our communities, uh, putting up background checks, things that like exclude entire members of, uh, of our communities from actually owning things to help protect themselves. Uh, I, the Peace and Freedom Party is very much against that as well. Um, and ultimately, I, I always want to frame these arguments around, uh, you know, the demilitarization of the police and the state first, right? Like the biggest vehicle of violence in this country and of all kinds of violence of all levels is done by the military and the police uh, and, and, and the armed wing of the corporate government in this country. So at the end of the day, like any conversation that doesn't include demilitarizing people that arguably are supposed to be in civil service, right? They're not, obviously, we know their function, but they're walking around with assault rifles with two magazines taped to each other wearing gear uh, from Afghanistan and Iraq with, like, assault rifles. We need to really, really, you know, I think address that first then before we talk about how our people are defending themselves in our communities from the stuff happening to us. Uh, and we can't, like, ban, you know, assault, you know, these long rifles either because... There's millions of them in production. Like, I, I don't think the liberals truly understand, like, what they're asking about, like, what that would, it, what that would mean for average working-class people of color. Like, you know, the already highly, like, prolific, you know, gun market is just going to go even more underground. And we know what, like, happens when we've seen that happen in Mexico. The narco, uh, the narco cartels are the ones who have the weapons. Um, and, you know, how do we combat this here realistically in the 50th district with the gun violence? is we need to build strong and empowered working class youth and neighborhood organizations. We need to actually invest resources in our children to talk about and educate these upon, on these issues to try and de-incentivize and deconstruct some of the really angry, misogynistic and racist anger and violence that like leads to these mass shootings like what we saw in Texas, what we saw in Florida, what we see basically everywhere here at Poway, what we see happening when people are trying to burn mosques here in San Diego County. Like, how do we combat that? It's not by banning uh, the weapons. It's by banning like the 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 ideology that creates the weapon yielder that like attacks our communities. Uh, we need to be. We need. We deserve to have the ability to defend our communities uh, from these people. Uh, that being said, Rob, like it's a very nuanced issue, you know, and one that we take with the appropriate level of seriousness. That. We can't just, like, abandon real material concerns and needs of our people, the security of our people, for these, you know, high-in-the-sky abstract idealisms of, well, we ought to ban all weapons. It's like, great, if you believe that, if you're a white liberal and you believe that, start in your neighborhood by disarming the police officers that live next door and, and then routinely point these guns and weapons of, uh, of mass carnage in our faces. Uh, demand that the white supremacists that routinely have the means uh, to purchase multiple long rifles because of the economic conditions of capitalism uh, are addressed. You know, addressing just a, a symptom of it uh, feeds into this really, really, like, I think, holier-than-thou, right, self-righteous <laughs> narrative of the liberals that if we just ban the guns, then the problem is solved. But the white supremacists have the guns, and the police officers, as we've seen here in the 50th, with the local police captain, or uh, the sheriff captain, I mean to say, that was hemmed up selling uh, illegal weapons uh, recently. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, the banning, the, you know, saying that it's wrong or making a law that says it's illegal to do that doesn't stop these horrible fascists from giving their friends and family, which were also white supremacists, guns. We should have you know, the same kind of ability to defend our loved ones and our families. We're, we're valuable. Our people are beautiful. We deserve uh, that same privilege, that same basic human right, I would mm -hmm. say. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you know, so following in that same line, um, you know, you talk, you speak about fascism, and fascism seems to be on the rise, not just in the United States, but really across the globe as well. Um, from attempted coups in Venezuela and a successful one in Bolivia, it seems that fascism, inspired by the far right, is becoming an increasingly more prevalent threat. And you yourself, along with others, you know, have faced down such threats in places such as Chicano Park, along the U.S.-Mexico border, and all throughout San Diego. If elected, how would you, as a representative of the 50th District, work to ensure that these threats are being taken more seriously than they currently are, especially when you have people like Duncan Hunter <laughs> posing, <laughs> posing with, yeah. with these people and, you know, rubbing shoulders, you know, and, you know, being friendly with these types? Well, I mean, it's it definitely all is tied to how the system is tied here. And you're right. It's like a global wave that we're seeing of fascism. And it's a result of capitalism being in crisis, like a global imperialism led by the United States that is ultimately failing because the workers of the world and the oppressed people of the world are throwing off their chains and saying enough is enough. And like... We talked about Bolivia a little bit, like, in reference, but, like, we've seen even there, like, right, with the ongoing uh, attempt at a coup that the people, especially the indigenous people, are resisting fascism and saying, no, no more to the mass executions and no more to the repressions. Um, here, in this country, we need the same response. We need to confront our own settler colonial class of entitled petty boo people. Uh, and for those that don't know what petty boo, I mean petty bourgeoisie, uh, people who are directly tied to the upholding of this system through violence and through fascism. So the Wyricks and the Proud Boys and these people of this world that think that they can stand arm in arm with the police and, and reinforce a system of privilege for themselves. Uh, when we talk about fascism in this country being on the rise, we mean like not only the like paramilitary street wing of that, but like the real, real material and systemic impact of that. And that's why we're seeing the ethnic cleansing at the southern border. That's why we're seeing the complete, you know, ramping up of escalations overseas with our foreign policy where we're trying to, like, encircle entire other countries. Uh, situations like the South China Sea where it's in the name, South China Sea, where the U.S. is asserting itself, uh, trying to put the billions of people's lives as part of a geopolitical chess game. Uh, this is like the systemic impacts of, 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 of a fascism that's rooted in an expanding corporatism, uh, all at the expense of average people like ourselves. So here in the 50th district, like we've seen, you know, it's socialists, it's people in the Peace and Freedom Party and our allies in the community that are doing this work of combating fascism. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to stop if we get elected to office. If we get elected to office, we're going to make that a very real part of our platform to actually make it illegal to be a white supremacist, a, fun, a, a fanatical fascist, just like the people that carry out these terror attacks like what happened at Shabbat here in Poway not too long ago. Right now, there isn't any attention being paid in this country to the homegrown domestic terrorist movement that is white supremacist uh, groups like the... Uh, the American Identitarian Movement, I refuse to call them any other name or their, by their acronym, uh, the Proud Boys or any of these other Adam Waffen-bred uh, neo-Nazis. Mm -hmm. There is zero attention being paid to this homegrown form of fascist terror. And, you know, if elected to office and as a big part of my platform, I'm drawing attention to that uh, contrast. While all eyes are on impeachment, we should be having all eyes on the arming and really, really... Uh, uh, devious planning of like homegrown fascists who are 
basically supported uh, by the local law enforcement, as we've seen. Local law enforcement who are getting caught up for selling and giving guns to their own immediate family networks who have these sympathies, who have the Punisher, Blue Lives Matter stickers, and are, and are, and are openly listening to right-wing propaganda and, and, and showing right-wing affiliations, if not organizing with them. Um, we have a very real fascism problem in this country. And uh, as people of color, as, as people who are like being directly impacted, we need to unify our struggles together to confront it mm -hmm. before we bear the same sad story of history that's been told, unfortunately, too many times. And ultimately, when we do that, we are able to link arms with the working people in these other countries that the U.S. is colonizing and oppressing that are right now taking action on the front lines against U.S. imperialism. And we're able to stand in actual solidarity with them and fight for human dignity on a scale that up until now hasn't really been seen to challenge the, uh, the U.S. in a real meaningful way since the 1930s. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that is what I think about our fascism problem in the 50th district, which, as we pointed out, is very real, very homegrown. Our, my old high school football coach, uh, a man who goes by the name Smitty, uh, is one of these proud boys that we confronted in the park. And for the record, like, if made like into any sort of political office in the 50th district, I would definitely prosecute people like Smitty for, for affiliating with known violent terrorist groups. Uh, that being said, you know, we have a very real fascism country, uh, problem in this country, and only a unified mass movement of working people from all walks of life can really truly confront it when it's backed and supported by, by, by the establishment and the ruling class here in this country. Uh, that's what the Peace and Freedom Party is bringing to the 50th District, the opportunity to unify uh, all of our movements along all of our lines to, to combat a very real threat that, if, if left unchecked, will come for each and every single one of us, one by one, as we've seen it do so many times all over the world. Yeah, absolutely. The problem that just, like you said, doesn't seem to be getting nearly enough attention, and it just kind of gets swept under the rug, you know, especially in places like here where it is so prevalent. Oh, yeah. Even even when there, there's openly the opportunity to talk about fascism, when the Democrats are wasting everyone's time and valuable like resources talking about impeachment, they're talking about Ukraine, where they literally supported a right-wing fascist coup, and fascism still can't be brought into the discussion. So this is why it needs to be third parties. It needs to be working people like us, like people that make the society function, that are addressing these very real issues about, like, no, it's not an issue of, like, which billionaire ruling class, like, steward is going to be the face of the country. We need to be addressing the very real waves of white supremacy that are reinforcing that rule of, of, of those stewards. Mm -hmm. We need to be, like, addressing, like, how we as a class are actually going to come to – how are we going to, like, survive and address these issues that are being done to us as these people seek to carve up the world at our expense? Um, so, you know, we have, a very, we have a very real task ahead of us, but we have a long and successful – uh, history of, of countries to look to that have been able to do this against great odds and overcome and now uh, have like to still constantly defend themselves from U.S. imperialism, but have won that real liberation for their people. And, you know, if it's if it's not possible here with all the technological advances that have been just basically piled here and looted from the rest of the world, like how you know what can we what else can we do besides trying to organize against it we have to we're compelled to internets don't touch that dial step off radio we'll be right back but first a couple messages from friends of the show
What up, Step Off Radio? This is Nate Witzel with SDLovesHipHop.com. If you vibe with Rob and the good folks here at Step Off Magazine, then chances are you'll love what's going on with the SD Loves Hip Hop podcast. It's available on all streaming platforms. We recently had San Diego's own Odessa Kane, Bay Area Spitter Locksmith, and 2018 SDMA Artist of the Year nominee Parker Edison on the podcast. Right now we have DJ Bar One, South Central MC Jag, both on deck. Come and be a part of the conversation on hip hop as a catalyst for change over at sdloveshiphop.com. Again, that's SD like San Diego, sdloveshiphop.com. Peace, love, and hip hop. brought up uh, third parties also right. now now going into the going along those lines you know this might sound like a basic and simplistic question but why should voters vote for you as a third party candidate um, California has a very um, unusual top two primary system which it, which pits candidates of all parties against each other Jeez, and yeah. lets the first and second place finishers move on to the general election so there exists this possibility that in the race to in the 50th district, there could possibly be two like Republicans facing off right. against one another, and um, due to this top two primary system and the demographics of the district, it's that's a real possibility. There are critics on both the right and the left, but probably particularly from the left in this case, that would say third party bids such as yours do nothing but in reality but hurt campaigns of compress of progressive candidates and take potential votes away from. Democratic candidates such as Amar Campanajar, who is the Democratic candidate running in the 50th district, and who lost. Hashtag uh, progressive. Yeah, and, and and he lost by a slim margin, of like 51% to like 48 in 2018. He lost to um, a criminal, yes. Yes, and many Democrats would argue that at the end of the day, third-party bids such as yours, they give Republicans more of an edge in an already tight and competitive race since these voters that you get probably would have been more predisposed to to vote for progressive candidates than Republicans anyways. What would be your rebuttal to these kind of assertions to, to convince voters that they're not just throwing their vote away by voting for a third-party candidate? Anyone that truly believes that like their vote uh, is as meaningful as that a lot of these people would believe uh, it hasn't been paying attention close enough to the, like, the way that electoral politics works in this country anymore. Uh, Super PACs, Citizens United, all of these things have basically stripped away uh, the ability for people to have access to the ballot box in the first place. A lot of the people I've been talking to doing canvassing that have been just completely disenfranchised because they have a prior conviction, they're just not able to vote, uh, they're like undocumented. Yeah, like the question about being uh, posed as a spoiler just completely undercuts the whole false dichotomy that exists within the two-party system right now. Like Abar is being lauded as a very as a progressive when his, he's not very much very progressive at all like well, the people of the 50th district deserve is to hear questions and be and solutions that are being posed from a very perspective that they share not one uh of someone who openly lauds like don't tread on me and 
you know, fences and levees and border protections are okay in the same sentences as we don't want a wall. Um, This kind of shameless opportunism and just kind of flip-flopping pandering is is not like what I think resonates with the majority of people in the 50th district. The people in the 50th district are hardworking people that like work for what they what they get. They don't they don't mince words. I don't think that like talking about you know oh we got we have to abide by a system of less lesser the lesser of two evils when in reality that like they're they're both saying basically essentially the same things but very variant shades. Carl DeMaio and uh, Amar probably will get along very well. They probably would hang out very well at a party. Uh, they would probably have very much in common uh, on a very just interpersonal level and an economic, a class level. They probably live in similar neighborhoods and they represent a very serious, similar interest uh, versus like someone like myself, who I would say pe- why people should vote third party and get involved in a third party is look what the two party system has already got us here in the 50th district. 10, almost 10% unemployment, right, skyrocketing rents, uh, a mental health and a substance abuse crisis that has just completely gone under underserved. And all the while, while like U.S. wars overseas have been putting, which like I want to point out, one in 10 people in this county are like active duty military or like the family of active duty military. And our family members shouldn't be used as political bargaining chips while our rents go up, our standard of living goes down, and rich career politicians duel it out for basically which which one of them gets to use our home district as a political stepping stone. We need a real political alternative, and that's why people should vote third party. That's why people should get involved in politics, not necessarily for the partisanship of which corporate politician is going to best exploit your emotions and parrot the lines you want to hear. It should be people like us that are actually tied to the community, that have an interest, that don't live in gated communities in in Alpine or in Granite Hills. It should be people who are actually accessible that will go to a town hall and talk to people and, and, and give them real answers instead of talking about Oh, how the spirit of America, or what is Amar's like uh, pl- campaign platform right now? It's country, country over party, like openly just like nonsense phrasings that are like cotton candy. You eat too much of it, you're gonna puke. America does not need to eat <laughs> more of the same filler nonsense about how we just need to trust corporations and the landlords and the so-called owners of society to have our interest. We need to take ownership of ourselves and form real political parties where our interests are doing that. And that's what the Peace and Freedom Party is. Yeah. And you guys don't just, uh, the plan isn't just to do this just on a, on a local level, but no. Peace and Freedom Party wants to do this nationwide as well. And, um, you know, in many ways, you know, like uh, this, you run for Congress and other third party campaigns. Um, they, in a way, they help mainstream um, socialist candidates, which, you know, which are gaining more and more popularity in this country. You know, on, on a national level, um, the Peace and Freedom Party is running uh, Leonard uh, Peltier, mm-hmm. an imprisoned Native American activist um, who's currently serving a life in prison for a first-degree murder in the fatal shooting of two FBI agents during a 1975 a shootout. Completely fabricated charge. That's on, not real. On the Pine Ridge Reservation, um, along with Gloria uh, Lariva uh, as the vice president on the ballot. Regardless of you know where where you stand on Leonard Peltier's innocence or guilt. Um, in a nation that's been so indoctrinated and conditioned to f- hate and fear anything remotely resembling socialism, 
even if it's most non-hostile benign packaging, uh, you know how do, how do you run how do you rationalize running a candidate that is currently serving life in prison, even if falsely, but still nonetheless, and expect people to warm up to that platform? You know how does this not scare away or at the very least intimidate garden variety non-activists, run-of-the-mill voters? So people know who Leonard Peltier is. People don't know his struggle, and specifically, he's been struggling for 43 years yes. as a political prisoner who has committed absolutely no crime. Mm-hmm. The crime of uh, national liberation and fighting for his people is not a, is, has guaranteed his not only multiply documented uh, unfair trials with fabricated evidence, coerced testimonies, and violence against uh, key witnesses by the state, not only the state of South Dakota, but the federal government itself, but like there is no openness for discussion on on Leonard Peltier's guilt. He is innocent. He is a political prisoner acknowledged by the United Nations as being held captive by the U.S. government as a political prisoner for fighting for his people. And uh, specifically, the incident that happened in Oglala Nation was uh, the culmination of a campaign against uh, indigenous people in the 70s that really, really highlights uh, the, re- the very real need for socialist political parties. And that is why socialists like Leonard Peltier uh, will prominently continue to be displayed on our, on our platforms and as our candidates. Uh, we need to uplift our heroes, our political uh, prisoners, our warriors who have gone out and actually uh, laid down uh, more than just words for, the, for, the, for their people. And anyone that knows uh, Leonard Peltier's case knows that Leonard uh, only was... On the jumping uh, bull uh, property to, to, at the request of uh, indigenous elders, traditional elders who were there under a reign of terror uh, being in, uh, enforced on them by the tribal government that was very closely allied with the United States at the time. And all of that incident uh, is why we can, will continue to run people like Leonard and Gloria Lariva, working class people, organizers, uh, proud Chicanos and indigenous warriors who... who who have only wanted peace for their people and actual, you know, human dignity from a system that has taken so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe that there's, you know, any room for civility dis- discourse on this issue when it comes to like people that want to demonize uh, Leonard for being in prison. We had 60 high school Mecha students who just wrote him a beautiful series of letters. He was under lockdown. He's 70, he's over 70 years old in uh, a high, a maximum security prison uh, where he's like constantly dehumanized and they they just recently broke a very, you know, important spiritual and, and religious object to him as part of a, a continuing decades long campaign of terror against him. Um, he is a political prisoner, and we need. It is our job as as organizers, as people that are calling ourselves revolutionaries, to uplift our you know our people and our and our the members of our community struggles. Uh, I would be very proud to call like a political prisoner like Leonard uh, Peltier my vice president uh, versus whichever handpicked corporate lackey or you know spineless imperial imperial lapdog that like you know proclaims to uh, you know be my kinfolk because he's my skinfolk no i would happily abide uh by my vote going to the peace and uh, peace and freedom party and the psl's uh uh candidates who are socialists who are political prisoners who are dedicated working class people fighting for for real human beings and not for the profits for themselves um 
any anything less is is compromised with uh, with this horrible empire, and and it's our jobs to really to highlight that. So uh, thank you for asking that question. It's important that we get the opportunity to talk about Leonard's case at any, at every opportunity uh, because this man is innocent. Mm-hmm. He has been like unwrong. He's been wrongfully uh, incarcerated for forty three years, and you know the fact that he can maintain uh, enough of a sense of caring about all of us as a, as community members, as a people to come out and like still want to, you know, fight for justice and fight, uh, uh, for what's right is, 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 is really inspirational and why, you know, and I'm strongly inspired by, by his struggle for, to keep going and doing what I'm doing. So at the end of the day, man, you know, tell us, you know, what is the overall goal of this campaign? You know, what do you hope to accomplish here in the 50th district that nobody else running can accomplish? We're trying to bring attention to real local issues that are affecting the majority of the people of the district, the working people. We want to say in the political process, and we're fed up with a two-party system of career politicians and lackeys that, like I said, want to use this as either a family dynasty, political theater, or a stepping stone to a higher office. These are real people's lives that are being consumed like kindling in a fire. Well, you know, people are dying every day on these streets. There's people that are really, really struggling and facing displacement and the prospect of having to leave their homes where they've lived for 30 plus years. Um, people who are enlisting and being sent overseas to be used as like cannon fodder while defense contractors make billions. We need real representatives. So that's in a nutshell, like why, you know, I'm feeling so compelled to go out here and, and, and campaign and, and fight for the 50th. Our people, you know, can't be just left to fascism unchecked. Like we need to have a, so we need to have a response and our response needs to be, we need to come together. We need to organize in our churches and our schools and our job and our, in our workplaces. We need to find that common ground that we have amongst all of each other, which is we know that there shouldn't be home hungry people. We know that when, when there's country produces so much food, we know that there shouldn't be homeless people when there's housing that's just sitting empty. We know that there shouldn't be people in tens of thousands of dollars of medical debt when we produce the most wealth, have the most stolen wealth of any country in the the entire world. These are very relatable issues for the majority of people. And the fact that only millionaires or their aspirants uh, have access to these to these vehicles of power and to these like platforms is a crime. And we're we're here to say as the Peace and Freedom Party that that's you know not the way it's going to happen in our neighborhoods. That we're going to run people for political office and that they're going to have to address their own contradictions and hypocrisies uh, in front of the people that they're misleading and, and the people we have faith. Uh, will make informed decisions uh, about who really has their interest at heart at the end of the day. Because uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot of discontent with the political system right now. And we're there to, to, to say that, like, that's not unwarranted. It's very warranted. It's at the very real contradictions and hypocrisy of these people who are filling their pockets at their expense. Mm-hmm. You know, so where can people get in contact with you? you know, where can people find your information, donate, and volunteer for the campaign, as well as get all the updates for events? So we have social media. We have a Cortez for Congress page, and we're trying to like just be out there doing work. Like I work full time. You know, I'm a regular working person, um, but you know, we do go events. Like I, I'm an organizer with the Party for Socialism and Liberation, a major uh, part of the Peace and Freedom Party, and 
we're constantly doing things in the neighborhood, like all over, all over uh, the county. And so if people wanted to get in contact with the campaign, all they would need to do is reach out on social media to the Cortez for Congress page, to reach out to the local uh, Party for Socialism and Liberation pages, uh, whether that be on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Um, and just, you know, really, really just see how they can get involved. People um, think that you have to be, you know, Cesar Chavez or you have to be like this mythological figure that we've learned about in school. Uh, this almost mythological. These were very real people. Um, but, you know, we're here to say that, like, no, all of us are just regular people just like them. And, and we can help. We can all come together and and, and really organize an anti-war, an anti-police brutality, an anti-displacement, anti-gentrification movement here in, in San Diego and in the 50th District, uh, the cities of El Cajon, Santee, Escondido, you know, places that are often under, underrepresented or, or sold off as easy victories for career politicians. Mm -hmm. If you had one message to, to give to the community and the people of the 50th District, what would it be? Get involved right now. It, you know, it's definitely important uh, to just display and, de and demonstrate that change can happen because we can. We've seen um, throughout history that the opportunity exists uh, when people come together to demand, not ask, but demand human dignity. And that ultimately there's superiority of numbers and of like determination and tenacity on our side. Like... You can only pay someone to keep oppressing others for so long before the, the righteous will of like a determined and prepared and disciplined uh, opposition takes takes power. Like all too long, people remember, you know, that like, well, it, it's always been like this and this is the, the way it feels. Uh, it's always been like this. So what else can we do besides just try to find a way to survive? But that argument you know, was what was made about feudalism and the rule of God kings and, and, and nobility. And, you know, if, if any of that was true, no, it wasn't, it wasn't the appeal of merchants and people that like owned large plantations with slaves uh, of those people to the nobility that gave them rights. It was them taking up arms and paying uh, their workers to take up arms uh, that changed the, the, the dominant narrative from feudalism to capitalism. Mm -hmm. And in that same vein, it'll be us as the workers that come together and realize that we can, we can also take control of the things that we produce, uh, that the things are overproduced in this country. Uh, uh, that is what I want people to walk away from with our campaign is that they have the ability and the power to get involved because we actually produce the wealth. We're the ones who like sustain and create everything in the society around us. Mm -hmm. uh, if we come together and we act uh, in our interests, just like the, the ruling class acts in, acts in their interests, uh, we can fundamentally change society. And that's what I want people to take away. And to also... Get organized. Join an organization. Join the Peace and Freedom Party. Help us take back our local political uh, situations by running candidates and by going out and challenging this duopoly that exists in American politics between, you know, Pepsi capitalism or Coke capitalism. Mm -hmm. You get your choice of U.S. imperialism in a red tie or a blue tie. And we say, no, what we really need is better jobs, constitutional rights for housing and health care, child care, and an actual standard of living that is decent and, and actually representative of human dignity. Uh, that's what I want people to walk away from. Absolutely. Um, 
Any closing comments or anything else you want to let our listeners know about the campaign? Vote socialist in 2020. Socialism is not a dirty word. It is a word that is a real thing tied to a scientific analysis of material conditions. And if people have any sort of critical like thinking, they can go and see that you know we have more to gain by using an economic model that shares the, the, the wealth that we collectively create rather than allowing it to be hoarded away by so-called owners who use force and violence uh, to preserve their extraction. I want people to just really, really, at the same kind of, with the same kind of interest that people show in, in doing any sort of deep dive on Wikipedia for random nonsense that we do, or deep diving for lyrics, <coughs> to really deep dive what is going on and what's being said on the news with this impeachment stuff as well. Um, ask why everyone, whether they be Democrat or Republican, are very, very wary of using the socialist word and are trying to distance themselves from it. And you know, what are they so afraid of? Why are the millionaires and the people like Jeff Bezos afraid of socialism? And you know, to really, really explore like what they can gain from being a socialist and organizing for a socialist revolution here in the belly of the beast. Uh, join the PSL. <laughs> and there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Jose Cortez, he is running for Congress for the 50th district on the peace and freedom ballot. Jose, thank you again for coming through. And hopefully, you know, we wish you the best of luck on your campaign. Uh, we're going to fight in the 50th. And I'm going <laughs> to challenge, challenge all of them to address the crimes that they've committed against the people of the 50th district. So thank you very much for the opportunity, Rob. Absolutely. <laughs> and with that said, we out. This episode of Step Off Radio is recorded at the Justice Center, San Diego, and our music was done by DJ Root. This has been a Step Off Magazine production.